welcome to the Healthy Doctor Podcast, where we host conversations about physician well-being. I'm Dr. Steve Sartori, Director of the Center for Well-Being at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Burnout is prevalent among healthcare professionals, and if left unattended, leads to significant consequences in our personal and professional lives. There is much to learn from colleagues who have experienced burnout, and so I am looking forward to speaking with Dr. Bruce Steffes, who will be sharing about his personal experience with burnout. Dr. Steffes is a surgeon, entrepreneur, educator, author, and speaker. A graduate of the University of Michigan College of Medicine, he trained in general surgery at the University of Florida and later completed his MBA at Duke University. He holds a certificate in tropical medicine as well as an MA in biblical ministry. He resigned from his practice in 1997 after experiencing a personal and spiritual crisis that changed the focus of his life. Since then, he has been committed to using his surgical, teaching, business, and administrative skills throughout the developing world. Dr. Steffes served as CEO of the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons from 2006 to 2014 and Chief Medical Officer from 2014 to 2016. He received the CMDA Educator of the Year Award in 2015 and in 2018 was named International Volunteer of the Year by the American College of Surgeons. He and his wife authored the books Medical Missions, Get Ready, Get Set, Go in 2009 and the follow-up sequel, Your Mission, Get Ready, Get Set, Go in 2010. I'm looking forward to speaking with Dr. Steffes, who will be sharing his personal experience with burnout. Uh, Bruce, it's good to have you with us, and uh, your biography references a personal and spiritual crisis that changed the focus of your life. That's a powerful statement, and it piques my interest, and so I invite you to share more about that. Like many people who grew up in a rather fundamentalistic background, my God was one who was ready to criticize me, but not particularly one that I had a warm loving relationship with. Uh, it was very easy to be legalistic and not particularly was grace part of our, our daily conversation. So in many um, things in my life, uh, it was just uh, all about uh, what I could do that would justify my existence, that my value came from what I did and what I accomplished rather than who I was in Christ. And um, through a uh, surgical residency that became worse and worse of an issue, and uh, ultimately I crashed uh, badly, became uh, certainly burnt out, and then went into clinical depression, not really realizing the difference between the two at the time, and eventually crashed to the point that uh, uh, suicide was uh, the, the best option for me. Didn't, didn't do that well particularly either, so... I got to a point that I came home uh, one night after I'd lost my family and my marriage. I threw myself on the couch and just said, God, either fix it or kill me. I can't stand this anymore. And it was at that time there was the most overwhelming sense of God's presence, of his love, of his forgiveness. For some reason, for the first time, I realized that he knew who I was before the foundation of this world and loved me anyway, and that Christ's 
spread out his arms knowing that I was a broken person and that I would continue to be broken, and he loved me anyway. And so it was just the most amazing sense of of not having deserved it, not having earned it, but realizing that Christ loved me and that I could, for the first time perhaps in my life, maybe relax a bit. Now I'm a, I'm a class A workaholic kind of person, so that <laughs> that's a relative term, but I could just be comforted in the fact that uh, God loved me. And then uh, I guess the way you found out was that you came to a crashing end where something had to happen. Either you had to die or you had to go forward in a different way. Yeah. I, uh, when I was growing up, my, my grandparents always watched Lawrence Welk. And one of the things that was a recurring thing on Lawrence Welk, for those of you that are old enough to remember, was there would be someone who would be spinning plates on a long uh, pole, and he would spin one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, and eventually, of course, the whole point was is that eventually it would crash and it would all come down. And given the talents and abilities that the Lord had given me, I was a superb plate spinner, and I could spin great numbers of plates greater than most people. But the real reality is I came to the point where was why was I doing this? I was doing it for lots of other reasons, uh, usually either some sort of uh, outward uh, motivation that, quite frankly, didn't bring me great fulfillment, or a sense of inadequacy that I could, I could at least spin more plates than everyone else. But when I began to ask the question about why in the world am I spinning the plates, that's when things started to crash. So what happens when a professional plate spinner can't do it anymore, loses meaning and purpose, crashes and burns, and meets God? What is next? Well, I think one of the most important things to realize is that everything that you smashed and broken is still smashed and broken. But God is capable of putting it back together. There's the famous uh, comedian Mark Lowry, and one of the comments that I saw him in one of his performances, uh, he asked the crowd, you know, why does God use broken people? Because he has no other kind. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, one of the most remarkable things. Uh, Billy Graham's uh, uh, daughter wrote a, a book entitled something like, In Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. And I think what it did for me is to, to realize that uh, I didn't have to do this anymore. And secondly, if I was doing it, I had to do it for the right reasons, and I had to be able to forgive both myself and to forgive others. One of the biggest issues for me always was anger, and it was anger at some ill-defined things. And I think as it became turned in, I realized that uh, that was as good a definition for depression as as I knew. And so just trying to deal with this anger, trying to forgive my family for the for the uh, feelings that frankly came from me, but I thought came from them, to forgive myself for, for being a failure, for being someone who was not perfect, because I, again, felt that was about the only thing that I could do. I forgive those around me who I was angry at, because not because they couldn't do it. I realized they couldn't do it, but they were interfering with my ability to do it. And so as I was trying to strive for the impossible, it became necessary for me to, to just realize that uh, everybody else is broken, too. What a dramatic change in your mindset happened. But the practicality, Bruce, is the reality that oftentimes we come to a realization, but then actually walking it out and actually being different is not so easy. So I'm just wondering, how how did you actually 
practice what you were saying that you needed to do. The, the real answer, Steve, is poorly. I became burned out again later in my life, again, uh, because of these old tapes, these old messages. I think what's important is that you have to, first and foremost, begin to have a relationship with God and make it real. I had been saved all along, but I had not been going to the family reunions. I hadn't spent the time with him. Uh, A lot of times as Christians, especially as uh, Christian physicians, we stand apart a little bit in the local churches. People don't know what to do with us. They don't exactly know, you know, what the stresses that we have. And and so it's sometimes very hard to find someone that you can actually be a true partner with, a real friend, accountable uh, to someone. Uh, God provided me a a person that I had known for years, and he was certainly not a believer when I saw him. But about a week after this happened, he uh, ran into me in a social setting, and it was just so clear that he had dramatically changed, and he was talking about God. And so for me, one of the most important things was, was having someone who could hold me accountable, who could, um, I, I didn't have to hold up a facade uh, that would call me uh, when I was uh, trying to do behaviors and, and, you know, make excuses for myself, and he would just say, that's nonsense, and, and we went on from there. So for me, that was critical. At the same time, of course, finding a church, uh, finding a spiritual on a day-to-day basis. And um, for me, I continued with uh, therapy with a psychologist and at that time was still on antidepressants. And so I think it takes all of those things uh, to mm-hmm. come back. Yeah, there's not a simple fix to that, but it sounds like no. you found the resources you need. You went to God, you found an accountability partner, a friend, someone to commune with, you sought help professionally, and together those things were helpful. That's right. And then uh, I think one of the the biggest things, I I realized that I was not really as satisfied with my professional career as I expected to be. Uh, One of the problems is I'm convinced that burnout and, uh, for some people, depression is actually not just an individual thing, but a systems problem. And I grew up at a time when we went through a surgical program where the problem with being on call every other night was he missed half the cases. You know, it was a great life if you didn't weaken uh, you were in a system in which uh, you were expected to drive harder and faster, faster and harder, harder and faster. And, of course, with malpractice, making it to the point that uh, if you ever make any mistake, then it gets put in large font across the headlines that there's a problem. And so I was having some some real issues uh, with malpractice. Uh, it turns out that none of them were ever significant, but it was a great stressor for me. And finally, there was a a case that would take too long to explain, but I literally woke up in the middle of the night upset that a friend of mine had lost this lawsuit, saying to myself, you know, if that happened to me, I would not work for the family. I'd have to do something different. Mm. And I fell back asleep, and I woke up a little bit later and saying, well, if I did that, then I'd have to do something I really wanted to do. And if I woke up a little bit later realizing that I had just said that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, that the money wasn't important to me, and that I was supposed to do something else, and I had no idea what it was. But literally the next morning, I put my resignation in on my junior partner's desk and uh, quit six months later, having no idea in the world what I was supposed to do. I had I'd, I'd just walked away from a very successful practice at the age of 46 and didn't know what was going to happen. All I really knew was that I was to be still and know that he was God. Mm. Now, we, we use that expression an awful lot, but if you go back to the Old Testament where that's written... 
he's actually talking to the enemies of God when he said that. And mm-hmm. so maybe it was more, maybe it was appropriate to me. Maybe I was being more his enemy than his friend at that time, but I was to be still and know that he was God. And to make a long story short, it's fascinating the number of ways that he opened up. And so I went uh, within a year to a career uh, doing uh, short-term medical missions. And the uh, best thing I ever did. So you went by changing mindset, then you came to the conviction that even medicine was not to be your God. You were willing to divorce yourself even from that, which certainly clarified the conviction that it wasn't about performance anymore. It wasn't about your profession. It wasn't about achievement. It was about God. And you were willing to sit and wait on God not knowing. That's exactly what happened. I I literally laughingly told him one day, God, you have my phone number, call me. And he, with his great sense of humor, the next three phone calls about what I was supposed to do came in by phone call from people I hadn't ever talked to in years. So uh, it, 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 was a, it was amazing to do. One of the things that I, I did realize is that as I began to do the short-term missions and do the things that I wanted to do, I realized that my, my skills in business and in organization and those sort of things were the things that God wanted me to use. And I had to lay my operative skills on the altar. And that was very difficult. It was a, a real switch for me because if there was anything that I was truly proud of, it was my technical skills, and yet he was asking me to do something else. And yet when I was fully aware of and, and thought about the fact that he died on the cross for me, what is my giving up the thing I enjoyed to do what he wanted done? Mm. I mean, it, it, was, it was truly not important. Yeah, he laid down his life for us. Are we not willing to lay down anything for him, whether it be our career, whether it be our health, whatever it is, and uh, he can handle it. He wants it. Well, sounds like you moved into a place of greater joy. I did. I did indeed. And yet what was interesting to me, I am not a finished project. God's still working on me. And uh, it was interesting because even though I got into missions and I was doing something that was bringing great joy, and I think God has blessed immensely, I uh, realized that... um, Working with and for Christians is not any better roses. In many ways, I had some of the same issues all over again. How many of those were coming from me? How many were coming from the organization? I think sometimes uh, we as Christians uh, do not show love to each other particularly well. And so uh, working with a Christian organization was, was honestly more stressful for me than many of the secular organizations that I've worked for. Yeah, like you said earlier, everyone is broken, and uh, Christians are not. We all desperately need something beyond ourselves, and that something is someone, Jesus, to fix our brokenness, which we cannot do. That's correct. So you're going to be working with broken people the rest of your life. Cheer up. (laughs) I understand that. (laughs) And we're one one of them. I am uh, am much more uh, willing that they forgive me than I forgive them, you see. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So like you said, we're still a work in progress. We're a work in progress. Yeah. What would you advise or recommend to a young surgical colleague, a Christian, about their own well-being? What would you tell them? I think keeping friendships. And by that, in this context, I mean Christian friendships that will hold you accountable. We're not really held accountable by very many people. I mean, the the legal system tries to do that, and our employers try to do that. But uh, we have our own little areas of where we're we're the demagogues uh, in those areas. And um, I think having a good friendship is difficult because in 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 the church tradition that I come from, 
there are not a large number of highly educated people. And so we are treated differently. And so having somebody that will, will call you is important. I don't know how to do this. I haven't been able to do it my whole life. I do think balance in life is a critical concept. But I think it's not so much balance because by the nature of what we do, we're always going to be going off-center. But I think the critical thing is what Richard Swenson talked about is having margin. If I can't maintain some degree of margin, then no matter what it is that comes along that's good for me to do, if I can't figure out the time to do it or have the reserves to do it, I can't do it. And so somehow maintaining margin in your life is a, is a critical concept. I think the other thing is it's important to realize that we are so talented as physicians. We have so many skills, so many abilities, but there are always going to be professionals who can help us. And so whether it's a coaching ministry, whether it's a, a psychologist, whether it's a pastor, being willing to ask for help is a critical concept. Yeah, and you did just that. You demonstrated it. You got counsel. You worked through those things. And uh, people are afraid, uh, Bruce, about doing that. You know, doctors are hesitant. We're not good patients. We don't seek help. We're, you know, we're we're too strong for that. So what, what do you say to that? <laughs> You're right. And we don't. And we should. I mean, that's, there's, mm. there's not uh, any particular logic. The, the truth is, is that... Um, if we cannot demonstrate Christ's love to our patients and to our families, and in many ways even to ourselves, then we're kidding ourselves. We're not able to do the best that we can do. One of the things that struggled with, I struggle with most about being on the mission field is realizing that I can work until I can't see straight, I haven't slept for a couple of nights, I go to an all-day clinic and I open the door, and there are 500 more people waiting. And perhaps the one question I want to ask Christ, most of all, besides why would you die for me, is how did you look at the crowds knowing you could diagnose them all, treat them all, and walk away? And the only clues you really get from the the New Testament is that he somehow understood that knowing his father's business, being about it, spending time in prayer with him was the most critical part of his day. But for many of us, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, we say we want to be like Jesus, but we sure think we can exceed his capacity for work, and he was incredibly strategic and accomplished everything that he was put on the earth to accomplish. Yes, yes. And and frankly, he did it for three years when we try to do it for 50 or 60. Yeah, it really is amazing. We, We have much to learn about studying the life of Jesus, that's for sure. Well, now that you're in a better place, uh, what do you need to do even now to keep yourself healthy? I think um, working on balance is probably the most important thing for me personally was to learn how to say no, uh, to realize that uh, there are other people who can do this. You know, people come up to you and they say, well, gee, I'd really like you to do this because you do it so well, et cetera, et cetera, flattery. And that happens to actually jive pretty much with my own self-opinion, of course. And so... I want to accept it. I want to feel good about myself. Uh, but saying no and realizing that I must keep margin in my life in order to do the... There are many, many good things that we do, but I can't do the best thing if I don't have the margin to do that. Mm. And so staying close to God to figure out what that best thing is, and it doesn't always come with flashing neon lights, but, but struggling to know what that best thing is and avoiding doing the good things that other people want me to do largely for their convenience often, 
it's a, it's a hard thing to do, especially when you're a born people pleaser. Sounds like an ongoing exercise in discernment and uh, practice. Good for you. Well, Bruce, thanks. Is there anything else you would like to particularly share? I think the most important thing is to realize that we live a life that is out of balance too often. And I, I don't think that we can live the life in balance that many people talk about where, you know, everything is rigidly. But when we are out of balance, truly out of balance, so we're spinning and falling down and we're like a top that can't keep, you know, properly functioning, I don't think that's a Christ-honoring thing. Even if I'm doing all of that for what I believe to be Christ's call on my life, because, again, I've often confused the good for the best. And so I think trying to, to realize that there is a time Christ himself took time to rest, took time to go away, took time to pray, scheduled his life in a way that made sense to him, even though it's not really clear to me always how he did it. I think we often work too hard. We strive for the wrong thing. Money doesn't do it. Public adoration doesn't do it. Your patient's adoration doesn't do it. I think being in balance is the most critical thing, in a, and I mean that in a very Christ-honoring way, uh, not just a, well, I've worked, you know, 40.1 hours, therefore I'm out of balance. That's not my point. Does that make sense to you, Steve? Yes, it does, and it's an ongoing uh, challenge for all of us, and it sounds like you've been practicing that uh, for a while, so you probably have a little more experience than some of the uh, your younger colleagues. Yes, and I screw it up most every week, too. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing uh, your life and your learning. And I, I know that people, as they listen, will identify with many aspects of the things that you've shared and will learn and appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your story of burnout and recovery and ongoing learning. And thanks for blessing us and, and blessing CMDA and blessing so many with what you're doing now. We really, really appreciated it. Bruce, how do people, if there's going to be people that might want to talk to you or connect with you, how would they do that? I would be glad to get emails from them. Okay. Uh, my email address is bruce at brucesteppes, one word, dot net. All right. Well, very good, because there will be many who will resonate with what it is you've had to share. And Thank you for being with us, and I wish you the best and God's blessings. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today, Steve. Thank you. I'm thankful to Dr. Steffes for reminding me and you of some of the key elements to burnout recovery. The element of faith cultivating our relationship with God the importance of collegiality, cultivating relationships with others in our life who can hold us accountable and keep us on track. And finally, the sense of purpose and balance and meaning and margin and the ability to say no to those things that seem important and good so that we can say yes to the better and best things. You can contact Dr. Steffes by email by emailing bruce at brucesteffes.net. You may also want to get a copy of the book Margin by Richard Swenson, which is available in our CMDA bookstore. 
At the CMDA Center for Well-Being, we help healthcare professionals align with God, optimize well-being, and maximize influence. For more information, visit cmda.org slash well-being. If you are interested in hosting a well-being retreat or you need a speaker for your meeting or event, email wellbeing at cmda.org. If you want help to manage burnout, navigate change or transition, or grow your leadership skills, a CMDA coach can help. Visit cmda.org slash coaching or email coaching at cmda.org. I invite you to join us in St. Louis, August 16 through August 18, for a well-being conference for doctors and other healthcare professionals. The conference offers CME presentations, facilitated small group discussions, and time for worship, fellowship, and individual reflection. You will come away from this event informed, refreshed, and encouraged. Visit cmda.org events for more information and register now to secure your spot as space is limited. The CMDA Coaching Ministry invites you to a coach training course in Mobile, Alabama, September 17 and 18, just prior to the Women Physicians in Christ Conference. The training is healthcare specific and participants will learn the mindset of coaching and develop the skills of active listening and asking powerful questions. Whether you're a physician, dentist, PA, NP, resident, student, or spouse, you will love this highly interactive training. Visit cmda.org events for more information. Space is limited, so I urge you to register now. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Healthy Doctor. Please tune in again next month, and until then, please remember, care for yourself as you care for others. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.